Thank you for listening to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast, located here in Pasco, Washington, where lives are still being changed for Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy it. So if you could open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, verses 26, we'll be reading there in a moment. Uh, When Adoram Johnson graduated from college and seminary in 1807, he received a call from a fashionable church in Boston, his hometown, to become the assistant pastor. Everyone congratulated him. His mother and his sister rejoiced uh, that he would live at home with them to do his life work. But Judson shook his head and said, my work is not here. He said, God is calling me beyond the seas to stay here, even to serve God in his ministry. I would feel to be only partial obedience. And I could not be happy with that. Although it cost him a great struggle, he left his mother and his sister to follow his heavenly call. Judson then went to uh, Burma and his churches there had about 50,000 converts over its time, and the influence of his mission and his churches in Burma were seen around the world. Now, Judson could have easily settled for, this, uh, for serving God in a more comfortable environment, uh, but he knew that God had, God had more for him to do. And when we answer God's call, no matter how difficult it might be, that is when we can be used to the fullest in God's ministry and experience a more fuller joy. Acts 8, uh, 26 and part of 27 says, And now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And Philip arose and went. Let's pray. Father God, we ask, Lord, this evening, Lord, that the words that I speak tonight, God, would be from you, God, to influence this congregation, God, by your Holy Spirit, God, I come before you humble, Father, that you would use this message, God, to touch the people in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So first I want to look at obeying God's call. Now in our text, uh, what we see is a clear call from God on Philip, and Philip immediately obeys. But it um, it likely wasn't easy, and it was probably leaving Philip wondering, you know, why would God call me to this in this time? See, what happened is God called Philip to leave uh, Samaria in a time of revival. That would be difficult to leave. Acts 5, uh, sorry, Acts 8, 5 through 8 says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them uh, Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many uh, who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now this is where Philip was in our text when the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, you know, get up and go. God called him to leave uh, Samaria in a time where they were experiencing revival, and he was right in the heat of it. He was right in the middle of it, and God said, let's go. I mean, look at all that they were doing. Unclean spirits were being cast out. Uh that paralyzed and the lame were being healed. People were getting saved. There was conversions. That's exciting stuff. If you've ever been in the midst of things like that, it's a lot of fun. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit told him, it's time to go. So let's read our main text again. 
Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south road that goes down uh, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. This is also a desert place, by the way, coincidence. And he arose and went. So Philip um, Philip and the Christian, Christian church, like I said, are going through revival and God just calls him to leave. So how easy would it have been to say, Ah, you know, I'm I'm going to stay here. Things are going well. You know, the ministry is growing. Uh, we've got new converts. People are getting healed. You know, spirits are being cast out. This is good. Why should I leave? I'm doing God's work right here in Samaria. It would be easy to say that, and it would easy be easy for him to look like he was doing well, staying where he's at. Or maybe he could have done it, but grumbled and complained with God, saying, "Man, God, I'm doing such good stuff here, and you're gonna make me leave." You know, sometimes people obey God, but it's begrudging. They're like, fine, whatever, God, I'll do it. But that's not what he did. He went up and he, he'd go. Now, Pastor Harvey was the song service leader in Houston when he was sent out. And like any other disciple who was sent out to pioneer, he was right in the middle of all that was going on in their mother church. Revivals, concerts, healing, converts, it's all exciting stuff. You know, like I said before, the will of God, the ministry of God is exciting. And in a mother church, which we hope to be someday, there's a lot going on and there's a lot to be a part of. But God placed a call, a call on Pastor Harvey's life to rise and go. To leave the comfort of their mother church and to go into something unknown. God didn't tell him what would happen when he got to the desert. He simply told him to go, and he went. Now, this is a key factor in our walk with God. So often, God gives us orders, and we don't know why. We don't know where it's going to lead to. We don't know what's going to happen, so we just don't act because there's too much unknown. There's too much intimidation in what might happen when we get there. What if we fail? What if this, that, or the other thing? What if it's cold in the winter? (laughs) It ain't cold in Honduras from what I've heard. Here, though. And some might say acting on God's command without knowing where it will lead is scary, but let me tell you this, and Pastor Harvey can attest to this as well, when you get in the habit of following God's command, even though you have no idea where it's going to lead you, it's kind of exciting. <laughs> you get to the point to where you love it. Now let's see where this leads, Philip. Acts chapter 8, uh, verses 27 through 31 continues Philip's story. And it says, And he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to uh, to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and uh, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now this opened up an opportunity for Philip to minister to this uh, Ethiopian and to help him understand this scripture and to tell him about Jesus because this man had not known about Jesus yet. Um, And he got saved and baptized him. Now Acts 8, jumping down a little bit, Acts 8, 36 through 40 says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. 
And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through, he preached the gospel to the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now as seemingly as quickly as Philip got to the Ethiopian and to where the Holy Spirit guided him, he left. Philip meets the man, gets him saved, baptizes him, and then God takes him on to his next thing. 1 Corinthians 7.17 says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So Philip left that man in faith to live the life that the Lord had assigned to him, knowing that even though he was only with, with, with the Ethiopian for a short period, God did a complete work in that time. Now, I think Harvey and Cindy would be the first ones to tell you that they are surprised that God called them out of Pasco when he did. Um, nobody goes into a work expecting to be there for slightly over a year. But when God calls, we answer the call in faith. In faith that if God calls you to leave the comfort of revival in your church or a city, that whatever he is doing, whatever he's calling to you, uh, calling you to, will be for the best. In faith that when God calls you away from something that you seemingly just got started in, you know that God will care for that work after you are gone. Now, I don't doubt for Philip it was difficult or painful to leave the people behind in Samaria. And I'm sure it was confusing and unclear for him when he came to this Ethiopian man that the Holy Spirit said, okay, now on to the next thing. But he had faith that God would do continue the work in that Ethiopian man. And when God calls you to go, you go. Now we as a church, we find ourselves in a situation to where we can kind of relate uh, both to the people that Philip left in Samaria and the Ethiopian man who only spent a short time with Philip. He was here. He served. We learned from him, but now he's gone. So what do we do? Now that's a good question, but before we talk about that, let's take a look at how Philip got to where he was into this position of effective ministry so that we as a church can learn from that and get there too. The calling to ministry has a beginning for everybody. You don't just, um, you know, start off big time. <laughs> Philip, the Ethiopian, Pastor Harvey, you guys and me, in terms of ministry, we all do or have or will have similar beginnings. And we all have to start somewhere. Pastor Wayman Mitchell didn't just start off with churches worldwide. No one in our fellowship just started off full-time at a big church. They all started somewhere, and we all, um, and we all have to build something. It starts with humble beginnings. And we find the first mention of Philip serving in ministry in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists who arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, 
and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these were set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid, hand, laid their hands on them. So before Philip was sparking revival in Samaria, he got to start serving tables to the elderly. And Pastor Harvey, when he first started, served as the outreach leader in Houston. When I first came to this church, my first ministry was running the clicker for song service. Now, perhaps, you know, there's a certain ministry you aspire to be in, but I can, I can tell you now, be faithful, no matter how small that ministry might seem. Be faithful in that ministry, and God will bless you with more and more. Uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 12, he says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Then, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another's, in what is another's who will give you what is your own? Now, I want to take a closer look at this. There's three things to see here. In Luke 16.10, Jesus says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Now, Jesus is telling us, be faithful with what you have now. You can prove to me that you are worthy of more. God isn't going to just trust us with value parts of his ministry if we can't prove to be trusted to show up for service and run the song service clicker. Now, if you, have a pa if you have a calling on your life to be a pastor or a leader in ministry, listen to this, because this gave the, this verse a different meaning to me. Evangelist Sho Kishimoto, when he was here a few years back, he quoted this scripture to me and gave it to me as a word. And, uh, you know, and, and he told me this, and, and I kind of thought, okay, well, maybe God's telling me to get my finances together, or like, what does this mean? And I thought about it for a long time, and it was probably four, five, six laters, uh, months later, and it finally hit me. You know, God revealed it to me. Um, what that meant to me is me as an individual. God's saying, take care of your life, your family. Minister to your wife and your children. Be faithful with your own soul, with your wife and your children's own soul, before I can trust you with ministry and have other souls in your responsibility. And that was when I realized on the grand scheme of things, looking all around and all that God has to do here, my soul as one soul is little. There's a, there's a grand scheme here. Many souls at stake. And God said, take care of your own soul and your family before I can trust you with more. Before you can step in to where you're responsible for other souls. Because, you know, like a lot of ministers tend to say, and it's true, is one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to have to tell him, take account for what we did in our lives, and as ministers, what we did for the lives around us. Now, most people read that scripture. I'll read it one more time. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Most people read that scripture and relate it to money. Um, and it certainly is applicable to money. Um, but once I thought about the way this applied to me more after Pastor Show gave me that word, it can apply to everybody on many different scales. Now, Jesus goes on in Luke 16, verse 11. He says, if you have not, um, if then, 
you have not been faithful in the riches of wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? Now this scripture is talking about money. And the worldly possessions, Jesus is saying, if you cannot be faithful with your money, how can I trust you with heavenly riches, riches in ministry? Uh, D.L. Moody once said, I can see more about the spirituality of a man by reading through his checkbook than I can through his prayer book. Now, I know nobody here probably actually has a checkbook because not many people write checks anymore, but you get the idea. What does your handling of money say about your spirituality? What are you spending your money on? Is all your money going to the movie theaters, to the bars, to the liquor store? If someone looked at where your money is going, is it being spent at dinner for ch uh, fellowships after church? Plane tickets for conference? Gas at the gas station as we all chuck our way over for an impact team to a sister church? What does your handling in money say about your walk with God? Are you tithing? 10% of your income can seem a lot, but God doesn't just ask you for it. He says that 10% is his, but he trusts you with it. Malachi 3.8 says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, because, uh, but you say, how have we robbed you in the tithes and contributions? Are we being faithful and giving back to God like he commanded us? Are we offering? Are we giving to missions? You know, pretty soon here as we give to missions, we're going to be giving directly to Harvey and Cindy. That's something that, that we can kind of almost take pride in. I mean, we didn't send them there, but they were here. They spent time with us. That's a big deal. In Luke 16, 12 is the third part. He says, And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And here Jesus is basically saying, if you can't serve under another man's ministry, how can I trust you with your own? Philip first served under the twelve, uh, the twelve apostles. Pastor Harvey first served under his first pastor and then Pastor Vass. I first served under Pastor Renee and then Pastor Harvey. And now all four of those people who I just mentioned serve under Pastor Rosario now. Serving in other ministries in your own church, going on impact teams to serve other churches, these are the ways that you can show God that you can be trusted in ministry and how to bless your ministry that you have. Now, thirdly, I'd like to get back to the question that I asked before. What do we do now? What's next for this church? And just like, um, just like how Pastor Harvey, of course, was a key factor in our church, being the pastor, so was Philip the Sumerian, uh, in Sumerian uh, before he left during the revival. There was undoubtedly some gaps to fill in when they both leave. So what do we do now? Well, there's probably a lot to do, but I'm going to start with three things. Firstly, step in and serve. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God, uh, God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as the one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies it, in order that everything God may be glorified through Christ, to him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God gives us all different abilities with the intention that together as the body of Christ, we can serve and fill the needs of the church to glorify Christ. Now in this church, as people step into ministry, you're not serving me. 
You're serving God, and we're all working together as the body of Christ to reach souls for His kingdom. And secondly, we want to continue and grow in the revival. Acts 8.39 says, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, there's nothing in the Bible that's said about the Ethiopian man after this scripture, but many commentators believe that this Ethiopian man returned to Ethiopia and began to preach Christ to the nation and birthed the Christian church that is still to this day in Ethiopia. Philip was only with this man for a short time, but it was the exact amount of time that God wanted. And the Ethiopian man took what he learned from Philip, and he got to work and sparked revival in his hometown. Now, we only had uh, Pastor Renee and Pastor Harvey here for a short time. But we have faith that God had them here for the allotted amount of time that he had planned for them. Now, it's up to us to put what we have learned and put it into action and spark revival in our city of Pasco. Go into this city and preach Christ. And third, extend our reach. A common statement made in our fellowship is that we are a local church with a worldwide vision. We have a heart for Pasco and we want to forever impact this city and leave our mark on this town. But it doesn't stop there. In our fellowship, we want to touch the world with the gospel. And Jesus wants us to touch the world with the gospel too. In Matthew 28, 19-20, Jesus gives his people the Great Commission and he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what Jesus calls us to do as believers, to go and make disciples. This is a call for everyone. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Our church, like many, other, uh, many others in our fellowship, had small beginnings. From uh, Pastor Renee's living room to the back room in the Boys and Girls Club and to here right now. And we are, in no doubt, still in small beginnings. But like Philip serving tables and the Ethiopian man on the desert road, this is only the beginning for us. We don't stop here and we won't stop here. I dream personally, and I hope you guys do as well, of sending couples out of this church here in Pasco to other cities, to other states, or even other nations. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus says, For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now in the Great Commission, Jesus says to us to make disciples of all nations, and Jesus also says, if you have faith the side of the mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. So if these two things are true, how can we not believe and have faith that someday out of this city here in Pasco, we can plant churches and touch the nations? A local church with a worldwide vision. Can I have every head bowed and every eye closed?
You've just listened to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast located here in Pasco, Washington. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you come back for more.